this scene, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Greetings and salutations out there, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It's time for another glorious edition of the Man in the Arena podcast. We're back for episode two, the Ace of Tennessee Sports Podcasting. Michael Shibley with you here. Another beautiful day here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hope you guys have had a great one. Again, hope you guys are still staying safe out there with all the COVID-19 pandemic and again, doing what you can to stay out there. And of course, We have a jam-packed show for you today. It's going to be another glorious episode, going down in the annals of greatness of sports podcasting history, as always, here on the Man in the Arena podcast. And of course, help us out. We've got this back. We've got it here on iTunes and Spotify. We're getting it to the other podcasting platforms as well. Of course, you can check it out at Transistor.fm for the website. Go to search Man in the Arena, or of course, search on those sites, and of course, wherever you listen, please, as always, like, subscribe, share, give us those five-star reviews, because the more we do that, the quicker we can take over the podcasting world, which is always great for everybody involved, especially yours truly. So again, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley is my personal one, and of course, the Man Arena Pod is the one specifically for the podcast. You can also look up Man in the Arena Podcast on Facebook. Also, search Man in the Arena podcast on Instagram. We're all there. You look for it. You're going to find it. You got a nice picture of me holding Smokey, cheering in an empty arena because that's how we roll. It's a good photo op. It was great. I got to thank, of course, Aaron Cody Campbell for the great photos for that from back in the day. But let's get down to business. I have stalled long enough. Some big things have happened, of course. We're going to talk about what's going on. We got some great... Uh, celebratory moments from a hundred years of history in some things. We'll talk about that. We've got SummerSlam preview coming up in the empty arena that the WWE is going to have it in. So some great things happening, some controversy as well, but things to look forward to and hopefully it will happen. The SEC went out yesterday and released their football schedule for this upcoming season. It's all SEC all the time. And who doesn't love that? You've got 11 weeks of the season, 10 games. It's going to start again September 26th. The SEC championship game is happening on December 19th. That's how they've scheduled it. They released the week one games first and then released the rest of them. I'm going to go down week one first for everybody, and then we're going to kind of go through everything. So Alabama is uh, going against at Missouri, For them, Arkansas is uh, hosting Georgia, Auburn hosting Kentucky, Florida at Ole Miss. You also have uh, LSU hosting Mississippi State. You have, of course, my beloved Tennessee Vols going on the road to Columbia, South Carolina. And you've got Texas A&M hosting Vanderbilt. So really, when you look at it, not a lot of sexy matchups in week one. They're kind of easing a lot of teams into it. it. Seems like, at least, of course, betting-wise, definitely, the most competitive matchup is going to be that Tennessee-South Carolina game. Teams that are coming in, a lot of questions going into the season. We saw that coming out of last season, the way it went. And again, who knows how so much of this is going to go with the way these teams have been having to prep and practice 
throughout the summer with all of this going on with COVID-19 and everything. So you have all of that factored in. Also, I think with week one, they're kind of wanting to make sure that there's not a really big sexy matchup there just in case they've got to push this back because who knows how these outbreaks are happening. We'll get a little bit more into that at some of these college campuses here momentarily as students have moved back in. But meanwhile, you look at Tennessee's schedule, and of course, we got to talk my beloved Tennessee Vols, and of course, we're going to get my good friend Trey Pack back on the show once we get closer to football time in Tennessee. We will definitely break all of this down even more. But you look at Tennessee's schedule, it really breaks Tennessee's way pretty well, really, when you look at it. it you're not going to have like last season, and the way last season, of course, started is a whole other story, but you don't have the gauntlet of Georgia, Florida, Georgia, that Mississippi State game that we somehow won, and then at Alabama, you don't have a big gauntlet like that that Tennessee's got to just grit their teeth and bowl through. You've got, again, you're starting at South Carolina, then you're home versus Missouri, then you are um, at Georgia, you host Kentucky, you host Alabama, you've got an open date, and then it's at Arkansas, home against Texas A&M, at Auburn, at Vanderbilt, and then Tennessee ends the season December 5th against Florida, which is brilliant for a lot of reasons. One, I've always thought we should play Florida later in the year. I would really enjoy that, honestly. Again, having Florida here in December, a lot colder than it is when usually we play them here in December, let alone when we have to play in Florida in September. So that's going to be an interesting factor. Of course, Florida has had to travel elsewhere to wrap up the season two, except, of course, they play Florida State at the end. But again, they still have to go to Kentucky and Vanderbilt sometimes when it's cold or Missouri. So, I mean, they're not unused to it. It's going to be great, though. It's going to be an interesting atmosphere because, again, they still have not determined the proper rules that they're going to have fans in the stands. We don't know how all of that is going to shape out yet. So, But you look at Tennessee's schedule, there's not really a gauntlet of games that Tennessee has to really just run through. I mean, the toughest back-to-back is there in November where we host Texas A&M and then we're at Auburn, two really good SEC West teams that are looking, of course, to move up to that next level. So you have that. I mean, South Carolina's a toss-up game. Missouri-Tennessee should win that game. I've got them losing to Georgia. And again, these are just rough estimates. Uh, I've got them beating Kentucky, losing to Alabama, beating Arkansas, flip-flopping one of the games between A&M and Auburn, I've got them beating Vanderbilt, and then right now they're probably going to lose to Florida. So you look at the Tennessee wins, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six wins out of this that I feel Tennessee could do. We'll see. What do you guys think? Hit me up on Twitter, Man Arena Pod. what you guys think about how many wins you think Tennessee's going to get in this 10-game schedule, and we'll see where all of this shapes out. Of course, you look at some of the big matchups, of course, some of the great rivalry games. Of course, the ACC-SEC crossover games are not happening, which, again, is very disappointing. But, of course, you've got the Georgia-Florida game happening in Jacksonville. That's happening on November 7th. You've got Alabama versus LSU on November 14th. So that's good, and they've got a good thing and separated a lot of these big games and tried to keep them as fair so you can get 
as many eyeballs on the big game as possible. One of the things that's really interesting is the Alabama-Auburn game, the Iron Bowl, is not wrapping up their season. They are playing on the 28th, so there's another week after that. Auburn is going to be home against Texas A&M, Alabama at Arkansas to wrap up the season, which is just kind of weird when you look at a lot of that. So, and again, of course, you've got the third Saturday in October game between Tennessee and Alabama. That is happening actually on the fourth Saturday in October, which it has been in time. So, of course, you've got a lot of these big matchups. It's great to see them have the schedule out, and now people can dream and hope that with all of this, that it's going to go the way we all hope it's going to go, and that we have a season. Because that's one of the things you have to look at with how everything is shaping up. You look at around the country, you have all these different ideas and everything. It's going to be really interesting, especially the rules that everybody's coming up with, because everybody's going to have individual rules. The SEC has come out. This just broke right before I started recording the podcast that the SEC will require face coverings for all fans and workers attending football games this fall. They still haven't said what, how many fans are going to be in the stadium, and we're going to see where all this goes. Of course, they're going to be tailgating. is going to be left to the discretion of the schools, as well, of course, as things like the vol walk, the band march to the stadium, all that stuff. We haven't made full decisions. I do know that in Tennessee they have no university-sponsored tailgating is going to be happening on campus. So you have that going on. Now, of course, off campus, they can do whatever they want, but that's, we say all ticketing is going to be digitally scanned. So that's going to be really interesting to see. So again, proper safety protocols still need to be in effect because you see what's happening around the country when it comes to students going back to school. And this is where you run into a lot of these things. Now, of course, The biggest stuff was from the story last week where you had the Big Ten and the Pac-12 both postponing their seasons until spring. The Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC are standing pat. They're going to play in the fall. And I really think they want to do that because they almost want to thumb their nose at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and be like, nope, it's fine. You guys just completely overreacted. We will see as all of this shapes out. Now, of course, the controversy has still extended in the Big Ten because you have a petition that's been going around. It was started because of Ohio State quarterback, the former Georgia quarterback, transferred to OSU, Justin Fields. He started a petition to relaunch the Big Ten season. It has... Over 250,000 signatures as of 4 o'clock yesterday. Fields tweeted, this cause is close to my heart and urged people to sign the petition. It's part of the We Want to Play movement. It's amazing. He explained the message he's trying to present to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren, which is this is mostly directed at. He said, my biggest message to them would be to get them to realize how bad our players want to play. And just the guys that are coming back for their fifth year, coming back off injury, I think we owe it to those guys the most. I've just seen behind the scenes all the work that they've put in and how much they really care about it. And I honestly believe all the coaches and all the parents and players want us to play. They feel safe with the guidelines that Ohio State has set. And of course, you have players and parents 
from a lot of the Big Ten schools, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Iowa. Parents are upset. There are even movement right now where parents are going to visit the Big Ten headquarters in search of answers. They want to go demand answers from Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Now, I do want to say as a quick aside, if because this is Kevin Warren, as I mentioned last week, it's his first year on the job. 2020 is when he started. Jim Delaney, who had been the longtime Big Ten commissioner and took them to new heights in the Big Ten with in terms of revenue and exposure and everything, he was, I mean, he was one of just the biggest voices in all of college football. And it's one of those things where I think if Jim Delaney made this decision, you wouldn't have the absolute reaction that you have against Kevin Warren. Do I know what Jim Delaney wanted to do? I do not. But I mean, Kevin Warren's not a dumb guy. He wouldn't get this job if he, if he was, I mean, that's my opinion. So it's really interesting to see the reaction that you're getting when it comes to that. And that I think kind of bothers me because I know they have their science. Other conferences obviously have what their scientists are saying and everything. I still really think, and that's what you guys listen to, to listen to what what I do think about some of this stuff, is that I just don't think there's going to be that full season. I think some things are going to come up, and we're going to have to postpone some of these games. We're going to have to cancel them because I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have instances where... Again, these breakouts are going to happen. It's it's bound to happen because college kids are not taking this nearly as serious. And the perfect example I have of that is the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is supposed to be a very smart school. It's supposed to be a really good one. And you have photos and videos of college students all over campus and right off campus there where they say, they just went out and we're having parties. Not a mask to be found, social distancing, good luck seeing any of that when it comes to a lot of that. And then they had over 100 students and faculty members contracting COVID. They had been back for one week and the university said, nope, we're all virtual. They sent everybody home. They're all going to learn virtual for the fall semester. Now, what is frustrating about all of that is that the students are been sent away, but the athletes are there. They are on campus, they are in their bubble, and they are going to keep practicing, which is really interesting when you look at the idea of amateurism. I think a lot of this, when when you look, and again, we've discussed so many of these things on this wonderful, fine program and all the other podcasts that I've been a part of where it's like, are they really amateurs because of everything going on, is it really college football? Is it really, are you really a student athlete when all the other students are off campus and it's just you there practicing? Yes. Is that going to help your bubble? Absolutely. But you even look at the University of Notre Dame. I think 175 students and faculty there have broken out because of, of contracted COVID. Even here at the University of Tennessee, Right when they started moving in, there were 28 uh, faculty and students that had contracted COVID-19. Just released today, 75 more students and faculty 
contracted COVID-19. So again, this is ever-changing as students. You even look, even at the University of Alabama, and you know, and I rag on Alabama a lot, but but you see it at Notre Dame, you see it at North Carolina, that college students are not making smart decisions when it comes to this. And yes, I know, and it gets drilled into my head probably too damn much at this point. Yes, we know that college students and younger people and healthier people are much less likely to die than older people. But one, some of them are still dying, and also, we still don't know the long-lasting health effects that this is going to have. We don't know because, yes, and a lot of them can be asymptomatic, but there's plenty that aren't, and that's what we worry about. That's why we went into lockdown in the first place because I love my parents. I don't want to get them sick if I'm asymptomatic and I give my mom a big old hug. I don't want her to get sick. That would be terrible. Meanwhile, the... Athletic director at the University of Alabama, Greg Byrne, took a photo of students outside and wandering down some of the streets on campus and doing all the move-in things. <laughs> Greg Byrne even said, who wants college sports in the fall? Obviously not these people. And he's talking about his own students. We've got to do better than this to each other and our campus community. Please wear your masks. So when you have the Alabama athletic director saying all of that, that's when you're running into all this. And that's why I keep thinking... I still think things could get pushed back even farther into the winter, or again, you might have some overlap in the spring because people aren't being smart about this. And we can, I'm not even going to debate the idea of wearing masks versus not. That's not what we're doing. If you want to debate me on that, come at me on my Twitter. I will give you all the evidence that I have and, and, and everything. But it just worries me that how this is all going to shape up because you look at you look at what's happened with Major League Baseball. We even mentioned this last week. They've had they just had another postponement. The Cincinnati Reds just had to postpone one of their games today because of outbreaks of COVID. But meanwhile, you look at the NHL and the NBA and Major League Soccer staying in their bubble. The National uh, Women's Soccer League all stayed in a bubble and they were fine. So we'll see where this all goes. I know the NCAA basketball, uh, I mean, Mike Krzyzewski even said, hey, we need to have a tournament this year, and we'll see where they're going to make more of a decision about that, I think, come September when they weigh everything. But you talk about even Justin Fields talking about all the work that so many of these guys have had, because Justin Fields, he could be the number one player in the draft. Why would he want to play in the spring when he's going to go right into the draft because I think the NFL is going to play in the fall. I don't think there's any doubt in that. Again, a reminder, the NFL, the NBA, all the professional leagues, they get paid. All these college athletes don't get paid. So that's something, again, you have to pay attention to when it comes to all of this. So you look at all those things, and yes, I do feel for these seniors, but you also look at what happened with the NCAA tournament. Now, I know, again, we've had more time to think about this because that outbreak really happened here in March where things got serious. But all those seniors and everybody does didn't get to play. There was no NCAA tournament. There was barely any conference tournaments because most of them canceled after the first or second round. So, again, it's frustrating for everybody, and I understand that. And I want sports back. I've got a load of stuff to talk about because they've played it safe and are in bubbles when you talk about the NBA and the NHL. 
One other frustrating thing, we'll go back to college football real quick and my beloved Vols, most likely, because, again, we have these waiver things. And the NCAA, by the way, has done nothing. They've canceled all fall sports because they have jurisdiction over that, all fall sports championships except football, where they have no control, which is always hilarious. Meanwhile, though, they can still talk about waivers and transferring because Tennessee might be losing a key uh cog in their offensive line, Cade Mays, who was transferring from Georgia, the NCAA denied his transfer waiver to be eligible to play immediately this season, transferring again from Georgia. Tennessee will appeal, but Mays, a junior, started 18 games during his two seasons at Georgia, projected to be a mainstay in the offensive line for the Vols. He's frustrated. What's uncertainty, it's just that uncertainty of everything. Mays played his high school football here in Knoxville. Of course, Chase Dyer, good friend, big Georgia fan, loved rubbing it in my face. And of course, Trey Pack's face about him not playing here. Of course, his younger brother, Cooper, is a freshman offensive lineman here at Tennessee. Mays' father, Kevin, was an all-SEC offensive lineman at Tennessee in the 90s. He filed a lawsuit last December against the University of Georgia uh, the UGA Athletic Association, several, under edit, several other entities. I can talk, I promise. Kevin Mays's right pinky finger was caught in a folding chair and severed during Cade's recruiting trip to Georgia in 2017. And again, Jeremy Pruitt talks about the idea of having a one-time free waiver for players. I mean, Jim Harbaugh talked about that last year. I've been in full support of that, I do think, because one, coaches can just go wherever they like. They break their contract, they leave, they go wherever but these students are stuck there which I, I think every every player should get a one-time transfer fee and again Jay Billis who is a great mind not only of course for college basketball but everything NCAA I wish he would honestly be just the sports czar of the NCAA I would love for him to be in charge of all of that because he'd make some great changes but he even tweeted Good grief. With all we're going through, Cade Mays has his transfer waiver denied. The NCAA has a chance to right this wrong on appeal and should. Mays didn't have a choice but to leave Georgia, and the NCAA knows it. Too bad Mays isn't a quarterback. He'd be eligible immediately. Talking again about like Justin Fields or some of the so many of these other quarterbacks that are just able to hop wherever they want and be able to play immediately. We'll see where this all shakes out. Tennessee did, of course, have the transfer waiver denied for Euros Plavzic uh, for the basketball team that did get reversed on appeal of course it was partway through the season so that was frustrating but hey that's where this all shapes up hopefully things will get better for everybody involved it's just frustrating for all of us we'll see how this all happens but we are going to take a quick break I gotta catch my breath I know you glorious people do as well but we'll be back with everything else going on in the world of sports Shibbles and Bits is back you're listening to the Man in the Arena podcast we'll be right back ladies and gentlemen you hear the music if you're familiar with my podcasting you know it means it's time for shibbles and bits here where we dive into everything else going on in the world of sports and there's a lot of it i mean all the stuff with college football that's been going on here and everything there 
just been dominating so much. The NBA and the NHL are having their playoffs right now in their bubble, and it has been just amazing to watch to start off the playoff season. It's it's great, and it's still weird having the NBA and the NHL playing playoff games in August, but that's the times we're living in. So as we dive into all of this, just again, keep an eye on all of this. We'll start with the NHL. And of course, they had their like different little play-in things and all these different kind of stuff that they were happening, trying to get everybody to qualify and get everybody back. And again, they've done, again, smart. I don't think there's been any positive COVID-19 tests anywhere up there in Canada where they've had these, I think, in Toronto and, and Edmonton, I think, are the two bubble places that they've had the NHL for the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. And again, the hockey's been wonderful. As always, playoff hockey is the best hockey. And of course, start with the Eastern Conference, the Flyers, the number one seed in the East, taking on the Canadians of Montreal, uh, Philadelphia right now leading the series two games to one in that best of seven. We'll see where all that shakes out. The Tampa Bay Lightning, Columbus Blue Jackets, that game one they had last week went five overtimes until the Tampa Bay Lightning finally got the win, three to two, five overtimes. I'm tired. They had to move the game that was supposed to happen after them. They had to move it to the next morning because of all this happening in the bubble. My goodness. So, but again, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in control of the series right now through four games. They're up three to one. It's been a, just a great one. The Washington Capitals, New York Islanders. The Capitals, ugh, not looking good. They are down 3-0 to the Islanders, the sixth seed there. Meanwhile, the Boston Bruins, Carolina Hurricanes. Boston Bruins are up three games to one in that series. Again, playoff hockey, still just the best hockey you're going to see worldwide, except maybe in the Olympics, but playoff hockey's just so much fun. Now, here we are, the Vegas Golden Knights, if I could talk, they are the number one seed out in the Western Conference, taking on the Chicago Blackhawks, who just got in as the eighth seed. The Blackhawks were able to stave off elimination, at least for one night, but they're still down three games to one going into game five. Colorado Avalanche taking on the Coyotes of Arizona. All that great hockey being played in Arizona. Colorado leading that series 3-1. to one. Again, these are all best of sevens. Dallas Stars, Calgary Flames. We finally got ourselves a good series. This is tied at 2-2. Two to two. Dallas getting the win in overtime in Game 4, which, again, just remarkable. Great playoff hockey coming up. And, of course, you got the defending champion, St. Louis Blues, taking on the Vancouver Canucks. You've got the series tied there at two games apiece. So again, great tie-in with all of it. You had the qualifying round just to get everybody kind of used to everything, which I think was smart, kind of like what the NBA is doing in their bubble as well. So we'll see how that progresses. And of course, we'll talk way more about this here in the world of Man in the Arena podcasting. So I love you guys and thank you guys for hanging in there through all of this of course, now you've got the NBA. It kicked off yesterday. The first game of day two of the playoffs is happening as we speak, as I'm recording this. Um, but you've got some great games that are happening. That first game going on right now is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Orlando Magic. I think the Bucks should take care of this one, no problem. Uh, so we'll see where all of that heads. The uh, number two seed, Toronto Raptors, which, by the way, Nick Nurse 
Hands off to, he's got to be coach of the year, has done an incredible job with the Toronto Raptors as the two seed in the East after losing Kawhi Leonard, who took them to a title last year, which seems like forever ago, and the Raptors taking care of business, they just smoked the Nets 134-110 to take a 1-0 lead in that one. Meanwhile, the Celtics-76ers game, that was a good one last night as the Celtics get the win over the 76ers in Game 1. And again, these are all best-of-seven series as well. Pacers and the Heat, the 4-5, and five, they tip off here uh, coming up later on TNT. Of course, you guys, probably by the time this posts, this game will have already happened. I've got the Heat actually getting the win in this series. Also some predictions. I've got the Celtics winning their series, and I've got the Raptors winning theirs, as well as Milwaukee winning their series out in the West. Meanwhile, or out in the East, out West, you've got the Lakers versus the Trailblazers, which I think is a very intriguing 1-8 matchup. So good, they've got that as the 9 p.m. game tonight here. I mean, there was a great matchup you had as almost the play-in game the way they had it saved up with the bubble and everything. You had the Memphis Grizzlies taking on the Trailblazers for that eight spot. Uh, the Trailblazers getting the win. Now, if the Grizzlies had won that game, they would have had to beat them a second time. But, again, it was just a, a, a phenomenal game. You had so much young talent there, of course, with Damian Lillard. And then Carmelo Anthony hitting pretty much the dagger to send the Blazers into the playoffs, but again, John Morant, and I think a lot of that young talent they have in Memphis, they have nothing to be disappointed about. They, I think, have a great future as long as John Morant can stay healthy. I think there's a great future there in Memphis with the Beale Street Bears. I am looking forward to seeing how great they can be. Looking forward to that. But one of the other underlying stories that happened was that Uh, Yusef Nurkic, who was one of the players for the Portland Trailblazers, he dedicated uh, the game and the win to his grandmother, who passed away on Saturday from COVID-19. He was just, again, he wanted to play. I think she made me play, is what he said. Um, Portland is now in the NBA playoffs because of that. I mean, he had 22 points, 21 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, as they call it, a stat sheet filler game in 41 minutes to get that 126-122 to 122 victory over the Grizzlies. So, again, with a heavy heart that he was playing that game, but it was just wonderful to see that he was able to overcome all of that. And, of course, again, it's hard. And that's always the tough thing when you see all the numbers that you see of people who have passed away worldwide, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide of COVID-19, it's hard when the numbers just keep climbing because you don't see all the individual faces that go with it. You just see the statistic, and that's where we run into this. But then when you hear the personal stories of, of people who have gone through this, and it's so tough and difficult to hear, and it's, it was great to see him be able to come out there and play the way he did. And I do think the Trailblazers... I don't think they're going to beat the Lakers. I don't think they're going to eliminate the Lakers, but they're not going to get swept either. I think this is probably going to go six games. I think Damian Lillard has just been on fire. He's definitely the MVP of the bubble, really, the way they've gone through all of this. I do have the Lakers winning in six, but I think that's going to be a great first-round series. you got the Clippers-Mavericks. The Clippers taking game one. 
should be a really good series there. Just great series out west. The Nuggets and Jazz, what a great game that was in overtime. The Nuggets 135 to 125 over the Jazz. My goodness, what a wonderful game that was. Then you got the Rockets and Thunder. Uh, it is interesting because Russell Westbrook is out, at least for this series, so we'll see where that all balances out. Uh, so you still have James Harden. So I do think the Thunder are still going to push him. I think it's going to go seven, but I think that should be a great series as well. So great playoff stuff. I hope you guys hang on and check out all the great playoff uh, basketball that's going to be happening because it's fun. I love the playoffs. That's where the best basketball is. So I'm so happy to see all of that. Uh, A couple of other things real quick. Of course, we had another UFC uh, big event, 252, happened. It was a heavyweight championship fight. Uh, Stipe Miocic, I believe I pronounced that right. I apologize if I didn't. But he defeated Daniel Cormier for the third time via unanimous decision. 49-46, 49-46, 48-47 to retain the UFC heavyweight title in the main event of their fight in Las Vegas. Miocic uh, increased his record of most title defenses in UFC heavyweight history with the victory. And again, uh, Miocic actually broke the tie. They had each won one, and Miocic now gets the trilogy. Now, of course, it looks like Daniel Cormier has said he's going to retire, but you never know when it comes to fighters retiring in the world of mixed martial arts. And of course, uh, John Bones Jones has come out and said he wants to challenge for the heavyweight title shot. We'll have to see. Hopefully he can stay out of trouble and stop failing drug tests long enough to be able to have that fight. It would be a great fight. I'd love to see it, but we'll just see because Jones is a knucklehead in so many ways. So we'll see where all that goes. Uh, a couple of really cool th- bits of news and history-making things. The Washington football franchise, can't call them what they used to be, obviously, but they have hired Jason Wright as their team president, making him the first black team president in NFL history and only the fourth former player to ascend to that role. I think it's great to see that they're making hires like this and trying to do some of the right things there, but who knows with Dan Snyder, with the way it goes, the Washington franchise has had a lot of problems. Of course, the name change and everything will be coming. We'll have to see where all this ends up, but I like Wright. I think he can do some really good things there. And again, you need to get, I think, again, when you have a league where 75% of the workers are African-American, you've got to get some people of color into more top-level positions because I think people can understand each other. Yes, I understand, I love, and I've always been a big fan of a diversity of ideas, I think works well than just having diversity of color and sexualities and and gender and all of that. But I still believe the marketplace of ideas is the best way, but you still have to bring in people who think maybe a little bit differently to bring in those new ideas. And again, Wright played seven years in the NFL as a running back with four teams, retiring in 2010 to attend business school, entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of Northwestern, where he remains the number one or number seven all-time rushing leader in school history. So the guy knows how to work. Any of these undrafted free agents come in, you know they've got a chip on their shoulder, but they've got a work ethic to get there, and I admire that, and my hat's off to him. Uh, Speaking of tipping the hat, we've got a couple of tips of the hats. In Major League Baseball this week, they're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, 
which again was uh, the Negro National League was founded in 1920. It was the first successful organized professional league uh, that allowed black and Hispanic players to showcase their abilities because they weren't allowed to play in Major League Baseball. The Negro Leagues operated for more than 40 years, becoming a catalyst for economic growth in African-American communities across the country and helping to spark social change. I mean, you've got the the teams like the Grays, the, the, the Clowns, the Monarchs, so many just... Great thing, and of course, you've got Satchel Paige, and of course, Jackie Robinson, so many other great players that I should devote just a whole episode to talking about just what was great about the Negro Leagues and giving people of color the opportunity to play baseball, and then some of them get to move on and finally play in Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, so they've been doing a big tip of the cap, and of course, here at Man in the Arena, true men of the arena, the Negro Leagues, a tip of the cap there. Speaking of another 100-year celebration, I believe today uh, was the 100-year anniversary of women finally getting the right to vote with the passage of the 19th and ratification of the 19th Amendment in the United States, uh, giving, again, female citizens the right to vote. It was great to see that the USA Today came out with a whole list of the 100 uh, greatest women of the century when they talk about everybody who has been involved in all of this. Of course, they've got everything from entertainment, politics, civil rights, media, science, but they have a sports section. And of course, one of the leading ladies in that section, of course, is none other than the great Pat Summit. May she rest in peace. Of course, just what more can I say about one of the all-time greatest women in the history of Tennessee? Naismith Women's Collegiate Coach of the Century, 1,098 victories, 8 NCAA championships, 18 Final Fours. Again, starting as a 22-year-old graduate student who had to drive the team van. And again, national TV made women's basketball. I've always said, and Gino Ariema readily admits this, without Pat Summit, there would be no Gino Ariema, and there would be no UConn powerhouse without the worth ethic that she and other people did throughout there. But of course, on the list, you've got, I mean, so many other great women in sports on this list. You've got Anne Bancroft, first woman to reach the North Pole. Simone Biles, of course, who's just amazing. I God, that's one thing we miss about the Summer Olympics not being here is getting to see her perform. Hopefully that will happen in 2021. Bessie Coleman, first woman of color to hold an international pilot's license. Babe Dickinson, Olympic gold medalist, just all-around great women's athlete. I mean, she was amazing. She won gold medals in the 80-meter hurdles in 1932 Olympics and javelins, as well as a silver in the high jump. She helped found the LPGA. She was a great basketball player, and she died at 45. She could have done so much more for women's sports if she hadn't passed away so early from colon cancer. Aletha Gibson, the first black woman to win Wimbledon. Florence Griffith, Joyner, the world's fastest, Flojo. I mean, she was amazing. Her fingernails were just great. Billie Jean King, of course, a women's rights champion, as well as the Tennis Hall of Famer, beating Bobby Riggs in the so-called Battle of the Sexes. 90 million people watched that event. It's just amazing to think when you look at people talk about just getting a million people to watch anything now a days. Uh, Itabj Muhammad, she's the Olympic fencer. Uh, it is great because she became the first Muslim to compete uh, on the team while wearing a hijab there in fencing. 
She didn't make the medicine an individual competition, but she helped deliver a bronze in the Team Sabre event. Great. Uh, so, again, hats off to her. Wilma Rudolph from Tennessee, another Olympic gold medalist who really needs to get more more recognition. I don't think she gets as much as she could. Again, she had bouts of polio and scarlet fever, which gave her leg braces and orthopedic shoes until age 11, and then she still went out and won three gold medals in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. It's great to see. And again, passing away from brain cancer at 54, and she could have done so much more for women's sports. And of course, you've got Serena and Venus Williams who are on the list as well. So again, so many others. Who didn't make the list? Who do you guys think? Jackie Joyner-Kersey is definitely one to me that that springs to mind. Uh, You could look at so many of the other great women swimmers that we've had. So, so many other great athletes. Again, tweet me at Michael underscore Shibley when you have an idea, if you think of any of these. Or, of course, the Man Arena Pod uh, tag there on Twitter as well. A couple of other quick stories that have gone through uh, in the world, and then we'll get to wrestling. I promise you guys, thanks for hanging on. I told you it was a jam-packed show. I had to cut things. This is how awesome this show has been this week. Uh, Tony Hawk, great, of course, skater. Anybody who knows anything about skateboarding or doesn't know anything knows who Tony Hawk is. Um, They're remaking uh, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater number one and two for the PS4, Xbox One, and PC. There was a move called the Mute Grab, but it's going to have an entirely different moniker. And Tony Hawk is changing it, and he explained why on his Instagram. He said back in 1981, a skater named Chris Weedle, who was deaf, was the first to do a certain trick, and in the air with the front hand. Skaters taught, uh, thought Weedle should have been given the credit. It used to be called the Mute Grab. Now it's going to be changed. Uh, they referred to him as Quiet Mute Guys, who became known as Mute Air. We all went along with it in our native youth, Hawk wrote back in California, so it became obvious that the name should be changed since Weedle was hearing impaired and not nonverbal. So Hawk recently asked Weedle what he'd prefer, uh, to which he said deaf or Weedle. So the Weedle grab is going to replace the name of the mute grab there in Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater Remakes. Great guy, that Tony Hawk. Gotta love him for that. And then there's a cool story, Barry Sanders, uh, Hall of Fame running back for the Detroit Lions, just all-around great guy. He found a box full of fan mail when he was. they were cleaning out a, a storage bin and all this. All the letters were addressed to him, and he found 150 fan letters, and Barry Sanders has replied back to all of them as best he can. So, again, just another great story. Of course, my favorite thing from Barry Sanders that's happened in 2020, this is a great story, but my favorite was when Garth Brooks had a concert, this again, pre-pandemic, had a concert up there in Detroit at Ford Field, and he wore a Barry Sanders jersey. There was a picture that showed up on Instagram, and it just said Sanders 20. People who, and again, this is why you need to have sports fans in your group of friends because there were so many people that thought even though it's a Barry Sanders jersey for the Detroit Lions because he was number 20 many many people too many people really thought that it was Garth Brooks showing support for Bernie Sanders in 2020 it was amazing to see so many of course there's so many comments I can't even repeat on this show because we try and keep this family friendly But they would say, you know, well, I'm not listening to any of your music ever again. And then people would point out 
that it was Barry Sanders, and then they wouldn't back away from it. They still thought he was supporting Barry Sanders. Uh, they were supporting Bernie Sanders and not just showing his fanship of Barry Sanders in Detroit. It was amazing to see. It's a wonderful social experiment is why you, you can't, but Twitter is such a funhouse mirror when it comes to people. The comment sections on the internet, you can't believe all of it, obviously. That's why I'm here, to weave you through so much of the BS, and hopefully I appreciate you guys listening. And if I make a mistake, call me out on it. I will debate you all day long. Moving into the squared circle as we wrap up the Man in the Arena podcast, first, before we preview SummerSlam, we have to talk about something that happened on Sunday night. A man was arrested on Sunday on a kidnapping charge at the home of WWE star Sonya Deville. Philip A. Thomas was arrested and charged with three felonies, attempted armed kidnapping, burglary, and aggravated stalking at a home in Lutz, Florida, according to police. Thomas is also being charged with misdemeanor criminal mischief, being held without bond. It looked like he had stalked WWE's Sonya Deville for a while. Her real name, uh, Daria Baranto. Uh, police said he'd been planning the alleged crime for eight months. And he entered the home at 2.43 a.m. Sunday after the homeowner went to bed through a back sliding glass door. It triggered an alarm. Everybody in the house left. Uh, they called 911. Thomas was still inside the residence when officers arrived. He was carrying a knife, plastic zip ties, duct tape, mace, and other personal items. So, ugh, it was really interesting. Sonya Deville, of course, came out and said, Thank you, everyone, for your love and concern. Very frightening experience, but thankfully, everyone is safe. A special thank you to Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for their response and assistance. Uh, uh, Berent, Berenato, she is a former NBA. MMA fighter, so again, I'm glad, again, anytime someone breaks into your house, the first thing you do is just leave. If you can escape, get out. Don't try and fight back, uh, and that's what they did, because some people are like, well, why didn't she just fight back? She's a former MMA fighter. If you don't have to, don't. Let the police take care of it. That's their job. Uh, she's been with the WWE since 2015, and again, she's been on the Total Divas show. She's also the first openly gay female wrestler in WWE history, so again, a lot of things, and she's got a match at SummerSlam coming up, which is going to be really interesting. Of course, she had her break with her former tag team partner, uh, Mandy Rose. DeVille attacked Rose backstage and cut off a chunk of her hair, so Rose fired back the following week. So now they're going to have, at SummerSlam, a hair-versus-hair match. Women fighting a hair-versus-hair match where, of course, the loser gets their head shaved. So... We'll see where this all goes. I do think it's going to be Sonya Deville getting her head shaved. Uh, at least that's my prediction. So we'll go with that. We'll recap all of this next week as we do. A couple of other matchups that we've got for SummerSlam. This one hasn't been officially announced as of this recording. I think it's going to happen. Matt Riddle versus King Corbin. Please have Matt Riddle win that. I am so tired of King Corbin. It's exhausting. He needs to just... I, I don't know. I don't hate him personally, but God, that character. They just put him on... Too much, and I think that's what's frustrating about it. You also have the United States Championship, Apollo Crews versus MVP. I think if there's no, you know, dubious means or anything happening, I think Apollo Crews retains that championship. You've got the Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza. I think the Street Profits retain, though it wouldn't surprise me if Andrade and Garza get the win in that one. Seth Rollins versus Dominic Mysterio. This is Rey Mysterio's son in a street fight. 
because Ray lost his eyeball at Extreme Rules, which I do not have time to go into all the stupidity that went along with that. But Dominic successfully attacked Rollins with a kendo stick. It's a street fight. I still think Seth Rollins is going to get the win, but I think Dominic Mysterio is going to do well for himself in that one. You've got Asuka taking on, in separate matches, both Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship and then Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship. They've been all butting heads. Asuka lost her Raw Women's Championship because of the way the rules were, you could lose via count under disqualification. Bailey was in the back attacking uh, Asuka's uh, tag team partner, Kyrie Sane, so she lost the title via count out. Asuka, of course, wants revenge, so she's getting two title shots for winning a battle royal uh, going into SummerSlam. We'll see where this all ends up. I think she gets one of them. She's been able to beat Bailey regularly. So I think she's going to get one of them. I'm going to say she beats Bailey, mostly because Bailey's been holding that title since even before the pandemic. So I think we're going to go with that one as well, if I had to flip a coin and guess. Meanwhile, the Braun Strowman versus the Fiend Bray Wyatt stuff has continued probably for too long. You've got Alexa Bliss involved in this now for some reason. I'm going to go with Bray Wyatt getting the title back. I don't. Braun Strowman, of course, beat Goldberg at WrestleMania. But again, he's been kind of underwhelming as champion. We'll see. Now, of course, one of the big things here is the WWE is moving out of the Performance Center where they've been having all these matches for the last few months. And they are putting everything now in the Amway Center in Orlando. That's where the Orlando Magic uh, play basketball. So they're moving to a bigger arena. We'll see where that shapes up here for SummerSlam. And, of course, your main event, the WWE Championship on the line as Drew McIntyre takes on Randy Orton. And, again, Randy Orton has been one of your MVPs. He's just done great in all of his matches with Edge and everything that he's been going on uh, with and challenging Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. I do think that... Drew McIntyre is going to retain. I think he's going to hold this, at least through the pandemic, until we get actual fans back. We'll see where it all shapes out. But that's my prediction for SummerSlam. Hopefully I'm right. We will see. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Man in the Arena podcast. I have been Michael Shibley. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe. Too sweet. Love you guys. Adios.